thank you, Rod, for asking me to come out and speak this week. Um, I'm just so excited to be at church today. <laughs> I, I don't know. It's just something. Sometimes you go to church, and after a busy week, you're just like, oh, God. and then one more thing. But you know, if you if you arrive with the Holy Spirit in you and just ready to receive the Word, there's just something about that that you're just ready. You're ready to go. Um, I think everybody kind of has their anyone who speaks has their kind of hobby horse, their favorite thing to speak about. And Rob, thank you so much to, for inviting me to speak this week because I love refuting false teachers. <laughs> um, this is one of my favorite things to talk about. Um, and I just really enjoy finding truth. Truth is so important. And we live in a day and age where you flip on social media, you flip on the TV, and these pastors that say something really fancy and nice that kind of sounds like a a gospel message, but you're not really sure. Um, we're seeing more and more of that. So I really, really encourage you, if you don't have sermon notes today, uh, there's some in the back, because this is going to help you um, be more informative of how to recognize a false teacher, um, how to talk to false teachers, and and how to use the word to help with that. And so, like Rod said, we won't be in Second Peter today. We'll actually be in Second Timothy 4. Um, but if you would, um, keep your finger there, but go to Luke chapter 7 first. And we're going to read 36 through 50 as an introduction. Luke chapter 7, 36 through 50. And I, like I said, um, I hope today can be an informative and, and just helpful for you in discerning if someone is sharing truth or the false gospel. Um, this is so important, and we are seeing so many false gospel messages, um, and books are being written, and, and people on TV are sharing a message that's so watered down that Christ's deity is actually taken out. Um, and we're going to discuss more about that today. So today is going to be as much as teaching as it is preaching. Um, I hope that you can take away uh, a lot of just great information about how to approach someone who's sharing a false gospel. So Luke seven thirty six through 50. One of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him, and he went into the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. And behold, a woman of the city who was a sinner, when she learned that he was reclining at the table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of ointment uh, verse 38, and standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with tears and wipe them with the hair of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with the ointment. Now, when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. And Jesus answering said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he answered, Say it, teacher. A certain money lender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. When they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now which of them will love him more? Simon answered, Well, the one I suppose for whom he canceled the larger debt. And he said to him, You have judged rightly. Then turned toward the woman, he said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet. But she was wet. She has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them from her hair. 
you gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she has loved much. But he who is forgiven little loves little. And he said to her, your sins are forgiven. Then those who were at table with him began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. See, I love this because Luke contrasts the Pharisees with sinners and sinners come out on top this time. Simon has committed several social errors of the day. Uh, one, he neglected to wash Jesus's feet. This was a common courtesy extended to guests because, well, in the first century, your feet got very dirty wearing sandals walking around in the dirt. He didn't anoint his head with oil or often, um, or offer a kiss of greeting. Did Simon perhaps feel that he was too good for Jesus's company? Whatever the case, the contrast is vivid. The sinful woman lavished tears, expensive perfume, and kissed on her savior. In this story, it is the grateful woman and not the religious leader whose sins were forgiven. Although God's grace through faith is what saves us and not acts of love, this woman's act demonstrated her true faith and Jesus honored that. Overflowing love is the natural response to forgiveness and the appropriate consequence of faith. But only those who realize the depth of their sin and the pardon, please remember the word pardon today, they have received, will they appreciate complete forgiveness. This is also a great example of Jesus lifting up women from degradation and servitude to the joy of fellowship and service. Um, I live in University City, and this is a very uh, progressive area that um, we have a lot of, I have friends and I have many people that are, are very feminist, and in this, and I've had conversations with them to say, well, uh, Jesus degraded women and hated women. If you ever hear that, take them to this um, passage right here. Because in the Jewish culture at the time, women were not even supposed to learn from rabbis. But uh, Jesus uh, would allow women to travel with him. He would show them that they were equal under to God. And these women were even so supportive of Jesus and his ministry that they would give their own wages, their own money to Jesus because of this. Um, some like Mary Magdalene were so grateful because he drove out demons from her and she followed him for uh, the rest of his time on earth. So today we will learn that if you want to be faithful till the end of your life for Christ, you must deny yourself daily, keep a clear head, um, endure ministerial hardship, do the work of an evangelist, and you will fulfill your ministry and hear the words, well done, my good and faithful servant. So the Apostle Paul gives Timothy four charges of truth for believers to faithfully live out the Christian life. So please take these notes today, put them on your, put them in your Bible, always keep them in the back of your Bible, because this is, be helpful for um, any time you come up against someone who's giving a false gospel. Uh, let's go ahead and, and pray. Dear Father, I thank you for the many blessings you've given us. I thank you for just allowing me to come back home, to be in my my home church, to be in the church that I was raised in and experienced a uh, just where the main part of my growth as a young Christian man was. As everyone I see in here has had an impact on me in some way. Lord, it's such an honor to 
to be here and to preach in front of these people. God, I just pray that we can receive your word and to uh, just love on truth. In Christ's name, amen. So turn with me to Second Timothy 4, and we'll read verses 1 through 8. Uh, many of you might recognize this passage because it has similar or familiar words such as um, itching ears, or false teachers, things like that. Um, and so this is something that I actually thought of. This passage it came up right away, and Rod said he was, you're in Second Peter, but this passage also deals with the same thing. And, and this is, um, I really like Second Timothy, so I said, I'm going to camp out in here. So we're doing a standalone message this week. So uh, verse 1 says, Charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is the judge, the living, and the dead, and by his appearing in his kingdom. Verse 2, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from the list, from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. As for you, always be sober-minded. Endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, and fulfill your ministry. Six says, For I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, I have kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. So, uh, the first charge that Paul gives to Timothy is Paul urges Christians to always be ready with the truth of the gospel. So that first blank is the truth of the gospel. Verse 1 says, Charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom. Verse 2, Preach the word, be ready in season and out of season, reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. And uh, point A, be prepared in all seasons to share the gospel and sound doctrine. So here, Paul lays it out perfectly. The proper motive of, of a preacher is a desire for faithfulness to God and not worldly fame. This God-centered motive is noted here in verse 1. Nowhere else in Scripture does Paul give this type of preface to a charge. And you can, you can as you read Paul's words, you can feel the force of his voice when he preaches in a holy context here of these words. Paul is reminding Timothy that he is preaching before God first. No preacher goes unnoticed. Now, sometimes preachers are going to go unnoticed by people, you know, not everybody knows Rod Omis, unfortunately. Not everybody knows Jason Hamilton. But, <laughs> but um, not everybody's going to know the preacher down the street. But lots of times that preacher down the street is much more dedicated to the word and has much more integrity than the person on TV. But no preacher goes unnoticed. Many go unnoticed by people. You might be overlooked by speaking engagements, conferences, podcasts, TV stations. But you're never out of the eyes of God. Now, I think Rod and Jason would do an excellent job on a podcast, and I would listen to that. Maybe that's something Ramsey Creek can do. But, but preachers are going to be judged harsher. Be loving to your pastor. 
I had a, a professor at Hannibal LaGrange, Dr. Brown, and he grew up in Macon, and um, he uh, so he was from around here, and he he understood what it was like to be in a small church growing up. And we were in our church administration class in, in college, and, and he was sharing how, um, he, well, he was kind of telling us, now, a lot of you probably want to have some mega church and, and you know, be in this church of 3,500 people and, and make all this money and whatever. But he said, you know, you're going to be judged more harshly for the words that you have to share. And he said, when you stand before God and account of all those people that were under you, 10 people is going to feel like enough people. 3,500, good luck. That's going to be rough. Now, I'm not saying anything against a bigger church. I'm not saying anything against a smaller church. And we'll get to that here in a second. But this should give all those who preach the correct perspective of the task. Our audience first and foremost is God himself. Because of this, the unpopular, unknown pastor should not be discouraged by his lack of fame and recognition. He should remember that his ultimate call is faithfulness to God and that his ministry is important even if his church is small. Billy Graham once said that he would have been completely content with just a church of 20 people. Um, he wasn't planning on being evangelist. It just kind of happened. Uh, to my knowledge, um, he would have been totally content with something small, but God had different plans, and I think it's because he was faithful in that. The popular famous pastor should not be arrogant. His ultimate evaluation is not from people but from God. And so why any pastor's motive should be, what any pastor's motive should be, and they should ask themselves, is God pleased with my treatment of his word? Is God pleased with my motive? Is he pleased with my attitude and care for the flock? Now, those of you who don't have a, a plan to preach or, and, and aren't called to preach, why do I need to know this? Well, because you're also sitting under those people. And it might be good to say, is my pastor asking those questions to himself? Because... It's up to you to send under someone who's preaching the right thing. Now, not all of us here are created to be that, but we can also share the gospel wherever and whenever. You're a missionary in your own workplace. Jason's shared with me a lot about, and the other men here who work at True, about there's always an opportunity at True to share the gospel with somebody. There's always an opportunity uh, wherever you go to share the gospel with someone. And we need Christian doctors. We need Christian lawyers we need Christian, everybody who can do uh, the work of the Lord. I have discovered that when I pray for God to bring an opportunity in my direction, um, usually in public, you go to Walmart, you can always find an opportunity to share the Lord with somebody. Um, and uh, you're walking around, and sometimes I find that God just, in 30 seconds, maybe not even that long, to a minute, um, the, the Holy Spirit just lays on my heart someone that I see that I might need to just share the Lord with them or share something good with them. Um, and just it's amazing what God can do in just a short amount of time. Christians also have the responsibility to send under a pastor that preaches the word expositionally. And that's a big word, but what it means is that they preach verse by verse. Expositional preaching is word-driven preaching and is given in such a way that the main point of the selected passage is the main point of the sermon. One of the themes we will discuss today is identifying a false teacher. If the sermon, church family, has no foundation of scripture and would immediately question, I would immediately question what I'm hearing and probably find another church. Now, you all are here at this church and members of this church, but let's say you 
you visited another town or you were getting ready to move. How do I find another church? Read the church values, the statement of faith. If they're not on the website, don't even go to that church to begin with. They have to have strong doctrinal teaching. If you are struggling to share the gospel with somebody and you're not sure how to approach them or not sure what to say. First off, remember uh, Luke 9:23. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily and follow me. When you de- deny yourself, you're taking the focus off of yourself. Feeling maybe you're feeling uncomfortable about having an uncomfortable conversation. But remember that they are lost and do not even know what they are missing. Point B says, rebuke, reprove, and exhort with patience and teaching. 2 Timothy three sixteen and 17, all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. So things like accountability, Bible study, coffee meetings, Christian friendships are just a few ways to sharpen your iron. Allow God's word to be like the water you need to drink every day to sustain your life. Uh, if you're big water drinkers and have the big gallon jugs or the half gallon jugs, make that part of your Bible reading. Those things are great. I love them too. Uh, Martin Luther said, the Bible is a, re- is a remarkable fountain. The more one draws and drinks of it, the more it stimulates thirst. The second charge Paul gives Timothy is Paul urges Christians to know sound doctrine, K-N-O-W, sound doctrine. People will deny the truth and follow worldly passions. Going back to verse 3 and 4, For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having the itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth And wander off into myths. Folks, we are in a time of complete theological turmoil. I'm broken by just the amount of lack of study uh, of the word. And just putting feelings first before fact. Um, I was having conversations with Jason and Rod and other friends uh, this past year about the, the fact train. And I won't get too much into this and we can talk about it after service, but... It goes fact, faith, feeling. And you put the facts first. You put faith into those facts. Christ died for your sins according to the scriptures. I have faith that that happened. I might feel it some days. I might not feel it some days. But fact, faith, feeling. If you put feelings first, you're going to be lost. I feel like I hear several times a year of a, of another theologian, a pastor, or a pillar in the faith becoming another prosperity preacher, someone who's woke, or just someone who's completely unorthodox. I hear others deny the deity of Christ, but still profit from his name and become celebrities of churches with no theological understanding. We should be asking, uh, we should not be asking how many members that church has, but be asking, what is drawing them there? Is it the gospel or some ulterior motive? Um, when I was in my New Testament class, uh, under Dr. Tomlinson in, in Kansas City, Midwestern, um, there was a lot of talk about a certain pastor that was based out of North Carolina. And he went through at Southern Seminary. He seemed solid, but he started to kind of drift. And by my senior year, or my fourth year at Midwestern, 
uh, he was someone that we couldn't even really listen to anymore. Um, it was just, it was heartbreaking. It really was. And in 2015, he came out with a, a sermon that says God broke the law and sinned for love. Um, and just completely just obliterated anything that scripture has to say. This isn't a problem just for, it's not a problem just for large churches. Many question a large church, how many people are they getting, are they watering down the gospel? Sometimes that's true. Uh, I went to a, a large, but I went to a large church in Kansas City and they were very, um, very doctrinally sound and actually they, they kind of updated their member list and actually booted out a lot of people on their list and that actually made it even um, healthier because of um, getting the people that were there for the right motives. Many smaller churches I see have the same problems, though, with small congregations are replacing the authentic gospel with a shallow message of what Jesus has done and no call to repentance at all. So people all over the world are believing a counterfeit gospel. There's a book by David Platt I recommend called The Counterfeit Gospel. Um, or counterculture. There was a counterfeit gospel book too, but counterculture is also what he wrote. Um, I, I highly recommend that book. Romans twelve two says, "Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you, you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect." One sure way to know between a message that is false and a message that is doctrinally sound is by the way. The text is used in the message. So point B, there's these two weird, uh, two weird words here. Eisegesis and versus exegesis. No, I didn't just sneeze. These are, uh, eisegesis versus exegesis. Let me explain. So eisegesis is the wrong way. You can put wrong next to it and highlight that. Make sure you get it right. Uh, reading of scripture that allows the reader to insert ideas, perspectives, and personal preferences into the text. So the emphasis here is on the on you, is on the person. So it's all about basically all about you. I said Jesus, reading of the scripture that allows the reader to insert ideas, perspectives, and personal preferences into the text. Exegesis, a sound, logical, and just explanation of scripture explanation of scripture by careful analyzation and study a sound logical and just explanation of scripture by careful analyzation and study instead of you speaking into the bible you allow the bible to speak to you i said jesus says you don't have to write all these down but maybe if you catch one that's fine I said, Jesus says, it's an attempt to mold God's word into one's own beliefs and ideas. It manipulates the powerful authority of scripture. It mishandles the divine meaning of the biblical text. And maybe if you want to write this one down, it's a self-focused study of scripture. I said, Jesus is a self-focused study of scripture. Exegesis says, God's word spreading to us, not us infusing our human worldview into God's word. One thing you can maybe write down on the side. I didn't leave room for this. That's okay. Um, Exegesis, the correct way is scripture interpreting scripture. The beautiful thing about preparing a sermon, the beautiful thing about 
having personal Bible time is that you read a, a section, you read a passage. Oh, I think I read something about that over here. Oh, I think I read something about that over here. Oh, didn't someone in the Old Testament talk about this? Like, it just it doesn't contradict itself. It's great. Examining Scripture in its proper context. And this type of teaching explores the true meaning of the text without any selfish implications. So, John, like, can you give me an example? Sure. Uh, Proverbs 3.15. This is one I saw uh, online. Um, Proverbs 3.15. It says, she is more precious than rubies. It's not your wife. I'm sorry. I said Jesus says that somebody, a, a woman can read this and say, I'm so valuable, I'm like a queen. That's not what that means. <laughs> uh, exegesis says she is referring to wisdom. So it's not even talking about a, a woman at all. Uh, nothing a person desires on earth can compare with wisdom. A person may desire fame or fortune, but wisdom is far better. And a fool will seek after earthly riches, but will be separated from God and eternity. So point B, people will deny Christ, his deity, and the cross to worship their self. And that's what we're seeing more and more in this day and age. It's all about me. It's all about, it's all self-focused. A, uh, so A says, how do you spot the false gospel? So this is something I really want you to know. This is something I think will really help. So anytime you might read a new book, you might uh, be interested in, in somebody new that's speaking, um, these seven points will really help. So number one, uh, how do you spot the false gospel? Um, it makes you the hero of the story. Number one, makes you the hero of the story because it's all about you. Makes you the hero, hero of the story. Two, focuses on your life problems. You got to live a better life. You got to live large. I hear that sometimes. <laughs> Number three, build your self-esteem. You can do it. You got this. Which isn't wrong, but in this case, that's, that's, that's it without any correlation of the gospel at all. Four, encourages you to be confident, wealthy, and prosperous. Confident, wealthy, and prosperous. Those aren't bad things, but that's the focal point of what they're getting at. That's all it's about, basically. Five, warns of haters and toxic people. Haters is H-A-T-E-R-S. Warns of haters and toxic people. Basically, people sharing truth. Calling them out. Oh, you hater. Okay, calm down. Six, calls to love yourself. Just love yourself. And seven, entertains. Is it entertaining? There's not enough fog on the stage. Got to find a new church. They didn't, the pastor didn't come in on a motorcycle this week. Got to find a new church. I've heard of that. Quincy, Illinois. No, it wasn't the church I served at in Quincy. (laughs) Uh, I really encourage you to find a, um, it's a a two part documentary on, uh, just false teaching. 
Um, and it breaks my heart because I have extended family that follow these people. Um, so there's a documentary made that's really, really good. I think it was on Netflix for a while. It's still on YouTube. You can find it there. Uh, it's called The American Gospel. And it has a really re- doctrinally sound, renowned guys that uh, Rod and Jason and the elders would support. Vody Bauckham, Paul Washer, John Piper, Matt Chandler, Francis Chan, David Platt, all these, Tom Askell, all these people that just have that's made a documentary on these false teachers that we need to recognize. And I think part of us are like, well, we can't use their names out loud. I think we should. I think you should lovingly share with someone who's maybe listening to Olstein every weekend or um, Kenneth Copeland. I have a I have an uncle who listens to Kenneth Copeland just went to his conference and it's all about show me the money. And, and if you, um, I just, I'm just going to say it flat out. There's a church in St. Louis and earth, earth city called faith church. Do not ever go there. They stand up there. And I had a friend that came out of that church and they said it was awful. And they, they just stand up and say money, 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 gimme, gimme, gimme. And that's like their thing. And then, I mean, they all come in and, and smoke weed and it's just, it's, it's just not church. Um, the American Gospel is a documentary. So uh, it's really, really good um, and really points out some people that we need to be careful. So the third charge Paul gives Timothy is Paul urges Christians to faithfully spread the gospel. Faithfully spread the gospel. Verse 5, as for you, always be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist. Fulfill your ministry. Uh, A, there is an opportunity everywhere to share the gospel. Mark sixteen fifteen. Go into the world and preach the gospel to all creation. No, I'm not called to be an evangelist, but I still have a, whoever, I'm speaking to anybody, but you still have an uh, obligation and a, should have a desire to share the gospel wherever you go. Uh, so I, I got up a couple, it was probably a month or two ago, and I shared... Uh, about the uh, apartment life ministry I've been doing. Um, be in prayer for that. There's going to be some big decisions coming up in the next couple months that uh, could jeopardize the ministry. Um, so be, just be in prayer for that. Um, we can talk about it after service if you're interested. Um, about a year ago, uh, I was doing what's called a, a grab-and-go breakfast. So I stand at the entrance of the apartments, and I have bags of fruit and uh, Chick-fil-A breakfast sandwiches, which is always a big hit. And uh, I have a bag and just said, hey, good morning. We love you here at the apartments. Here's your breakfast to go as they drive to work. So I meet them at the at the entrance as they are coming out. Um, and uh, there was this man that pulls in, and he was a painter. He wasn't even part of the... Um, the apartments and uh he was just really appreciative of what i was doing and so he even gave me a tip and i just um and that was just really generous of him and i said or are you calling me to to find that guy and talk to him today um because we had a really nice conversation for about 30 seconds and i said well put him in my way and and uh we'll we'll make that happen because it's a large complex i didn't know if i could find him out of a hundred apartment buildings he's painting my building and I said, okay. <laughs> and that's what I'm talking about. When you go out in public and ask God to give you an opportunity, he's going to give it to you. Um, and so he comes up to me and he says, hey. I said, hey. And he goes, what are you doing? 
<laughs> going to my apartment. What are you doing? And so we start talking and, um, he goes, no, like, why were you doing that? And I said, oh, well, I do this. I, I work for an organization called Apartment Life and you don't want to give a, you can't give away right away that it's faith based because there's a whole part of that. But, um, you know, I just share that I'm just serving the community and just loving on people. He goes, yeah, 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 but what are you really doing here? And I said, well, <laughs> and so I share and I said, actually, we're a faith based community, uh, organization and, and I'm here as a local missionary, um, just sharing God's love. He goes, whoa. And so we have this great conversation. And it's so interesting because that conversation actually led to a lot of false teaching that this man has been under for years and years and years. Uh, he tried the faith church. He tried other, a lot of churches in St. Louis. And he said that's been so over here and so over here. He was saying, like, his theology at that point was uh, the Israelites didn't actually cross the Red Sea because it was it was... Or like it, God didn't really separate the Red Sea because it was shallow enough they could just walk through. I said, uh, but it did wipe out a whole army of Egyptians, you know. So, <laughs> so uh, that's kind of where we got with that. So uh, be in prayer for him. Um, and uh, so Lord will give you that opportunity. Be ready uh, wherever you are. It takes a lot of work, time, and patience uh, for the end result. Matthew nine thirty seven and 38. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plenty, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest. Send out laborers into the harvest. Um, this isn't in your notes, but John 20, uh, John chapter 4. You can write this somewhere. John chapter 4, 27 through 38. John chapter 4, 27 through 38. We're not going to read through it, but it's Jesus telling about the spiritual harvest. I love this parable. I love doing parables here about farming because that's something that all of us around here can relate to um i've never seen a man like my grandfather or my uncle work more or harder than um anyone they farming farmers uh are very underestimate or very under appreciated um many here today can relate to this sowing in the context of farming is not uh the joyful part it's the hard part it's the stressful part it it comes before the harvest. So you plant, you water, and then you wait. And you wait about um, months and months and months. And here it seems, this month, or this year, it seems like you're waiting longer because we're not getting any rain. And it's going to be months before you reap that harvest. And the hard work pays off. So what Jesus was saying here is that the harvest is now ripe, meaning that the spiritual seeds have been planted in these people, and now it's your turn to lead them and accept lead them to accept christ jesus may be calling you to plant seeds in an unbeliever um may and you that unbeliever may just be a conversation away from accepting christ so do not wait allow the lord to use you um pastor john piper said that it takes seven seeds maybe to be planted in someone from maybe seven different people before that person may accept christ the last charge that Paul gives Timothy is Paul urges Christians to stay faithful and finish the race. Finish the race. For I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which is the Lord, the righteous judge, will award me on that day. And not only to me, 
but also to all who have loved his appearing. Paul knew his time on earth was about to end. I've learned some, actually some new things um, through this uh, part, which was really interesting to me about uh, Roman culture and Greek culture um, that I didn't know before. So Paul knew because of his preaching of the gospel, he would soon be killed of it. He speaks in verse 6 of dying and departing. And concerning the first part of 6, he says, I am already being poured out as a drink offering. And about five years earlier, Paul used this analogy in writing to the Philippians to describe the possibility of the of his death um, in Philippians chapter 2. And here he speaks as it's possible that it's going to begin here soon. So Paul here uses the, the image of a sacrifice of the Old Testament. So in the Old Testament sacrificial system, which during a ritual of the sacrificing a lamb, wine was being poured out onto the altar. And so perhaps Paul is using this type of imagery to refer to his death because Roman citizens like Paul would not actually be crucified. It was against Roman law for a Roman citizen to be crucified. Um, so Paul was expecting to be beheaded. So this is the pouring out of his life would be an offering of worship to Jesus. So ask yourself this question. When your life is over, will people be able to say that he or she poured out their life for Christ's sake? Paul adds, the time of my departure is close. The word translated departure is also used in Greek literature, which I found this really interesting, for loosening of a ship from its mooring or called to be a soldier loosening the stakes of his tent. So I think maybe Paul was using this analogy saying that of the image of a boat um, as if Paul is lifting the anchor and joyfully sailing to a better place. And that's what he's describing to Timothy. Paul was ready to depart as he told the Philippians in chapter 1, I have the desire to depart and be with Christ. 2 Corinthians 4.17, For this light momentary momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison persevere until the end and receive your prize hebrews 12 1 and 2 therefore since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses let us also lay aside every weight sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us looking to jesus the founder and perfecter of our faith who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross despising the shame and is set at the right hand of the throne of God. Verse 7. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Henceforth, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which is the Lord, the righteous judge, will reward me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. So Paul is saying here in verse 7 and 8 that he was enduring enduring hardship in prison by the that his ministry is actually about over. So now he's passing the baton to Timothy, saying some last words of encouragement. Similar to an old western where a cowboy rides off into a sunset or giving his last words as he's about to pass. Paul says that he finishes his race. He says that he finishes the race. He doesn't say that he won the race. He knew he had a job to do and he completed it for the crown of glory. I remember running cross country in, in high school at Clopton um, and just finishing the race sometimes just felt like it that was enough i didn't <laughs> i did i definitely didn't need a win it felt good but you know i was pointing out the hand this morning about 
gravel roads that we used to run on near the Beecham's house and over there by Mitchell's and everything. Some of those hills are rough. But, all right. <laughs> and when your race is finished, he will say, well done, my good and faithful servant. Martin Luther said, we need to hear the gospel every day because we're going to forget it every day. I encourage you to listen to Alistair Begg. Um, he has a Scottish name, Alistar, and his last name is Begg. I'm not saying Alex Trebek. Um, I will listen to bot radio a lot, and then in the mornings, I'm like, Are they, is Alex Trebek a preacher too? No, Alistar Begg. Um, he did a sermon on the, middle, on the man on the middle cross, and he said, without the preaching of the cross, without preaching the cross to ourselves all day and every day, we will very quickly go back to the belief that faith plus works is the ground of our salvation. So it's kind of going back to that question that we've heard for decades. If you were to die tonight, what would you say? So the first thing that we need to know is that if I or you give the answer in the first person, we have already done something wrong. Because I, because I believed because I have continuing faith. Church family, the only correct answer is in the third person. Because he, because he has died. Because it's what he has done. And Beg is making the point that we have nothing to do with our salvation. Just think about the thief on the cross. And this is an example he gives. Like, I just kind of want to ask this guy, when I get up to heaven, how did it all shake out for you in the end? Just a bit earlier, you were cussing Christ out with your friend. You've never been to a Bible study. You've never been baptized. You you don't even know anything about church membership. And, and you made it. You're here. The angel that must have saw him said, um, how are you here? And then the thief must have said, well, I don't know. And what do you What do you mean you don't know? Because I don't know how I'm here. Let me get... And then the angel must have said, well, let me get my supervisor. So, and the supervisor would come up and say, I have some questions for you. Do you understand the doctrine of justification by faith? I never heard about that in my life. Let's, let's go to the, just to the doctrine of scripture immediately. I, I don't know what that means. So eventually the angel would have to ask to the thief, on what basis are you here? And the man would look at him back and say, because the man on the middle cross said, I can come. That is the only answer. If those several words that the thief asked, because if you read um, Luke 23 or Matthew 27, he said, Jesus, will you remember me when you come into your kingdom? And so in his last breaths, he was saying that that man that's on that cross next to me, must mean something else. He must have done something. He must have died, and he must say who he says he is. He must be the Christ, the Son of the living God. By believing that, he came to save the lost and recognizing that he too was lost and asked, Christ, please remember me too. If you don't preach the gospel to yourself all day, every day, seven days a week, you will begin to trust yourself, your experience, and which is part of our fallenness as sinners if you take your eyes off the cross you will begin to believe that your salvation depends on you and as 
soon as you get there, it would only lead you to a horrible sense of arrogance, a false gospel, and an eternity of despair. It is only the cross of Christ that deals with both the pit of despair and the pretentious arrogance of the pride of man. That I can figure this out on my own. That I've done this and I'm living wonderfully well. That is a false gospel. It goes back to the song, Because the sinless Savior died, my sinful soul is counted free. For God the just is satisfied who looked on Him and pardoned me. Martin Luther said, Lord Jesus, you are my righteousness. I am your sin. You took on you what was mine. You sit on me what was yours. You become what you were not, that I may become what I was not. So let me ask yourself today, do you feel pardoned? Every day, get to the point to where you feel pardoned and that someone took that weight on you. Let's pray. Dear Father, I thank you for the many blessings you've given us. I thank you for the the love that you have poured out by sending your son to die for us. Thank you for giving us a clear picture of what sound doctrine looks like and to use the scripture as a basis for how to live a life. Thank you for the Apostle Paul giving his last encouraging words to a young man in ministry that was just starting out as Paul was ending his about how to live a life according to your will. Thank you, God, for your love. In Christ's name, amen. I want to do something a little different today. At my church in St. Louis at City Lights, we do something where as the closing song is going on, if you feel led to just want to receive prayer, come up in the front and stand. And then I ask any church member that wants to pray with that person, if you see a a, a friend, if you see someone that um, just is standing there because they want to receive prayer, this is not necessarily an altar call. This is just, I need some prayer. There's something going on in my life, and I just need someone to, to pray over me. So if you see someone standing up in the front, just come on up. I, it makes more sense, ladies with ladies, men with men. And if you do that, um, we'll just do that through the closing song, and Jordan will close us out.